in the names of God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is a difficult day if we let its meaning seep into our being and into our marrow. It has come to this. Three years of preaching and teaching, comforting and confronting, three years of mighty acts of power and small acts of kindness, enigmatic parables and straightforward and frightening demands. And now this, the last gathering, although most present don't know it, a frightful wrestling with conscience and a clear vision of what the next 24 hours would bring. Take this burden and yet let it be according to your will. We tend to rush through this week in a great hurry, it would seem, to get to the end, the place we know or hope for or pray for or simply wonder about, the empty tomb, the encounters. Perhaps we can even hold the notion of a crucified yet risen one in our hearts. Yet by rushing through this week, we do the story and ourselves a disservice. Stories have an integrity, and we need to respect that. The people who millennia ago wrote down this story so that those of us not present could be brought into the narrative told the story this way for a reason. Each part was necessary for the denouement, however we understand it, to make any sense. And the story of this evening, meal, song, blessing, struggle, needs its time on the stage. It deserves to be heard and reflected upon. If we've been able to carve out any time at all for prayer and contemplation over this week, we would do well to live that reflection in something that approaches the time frame of the story we are encountering. In that way, the Gospel of Mark may be a better companion for us, since that writer devotes half of the entire text to the last week of the life of Rabbi Jesus. But we can also read the Gospel of John, as our lectionary provides us, and still contemplate this day with advantage. So let us linger here for a while and think about this day, this evening, this I night in its integrity. It is a story of many things, regret and leave-taking, betrayal and delusion, poignant memories. Mostly though, I think it is a story about choice. The synoptic gospels portray Jesus who slowly comes to the awareness of his identity or identities and his fate. John portrays a Jesus who seems to know from the beginning where this is all headed. By the time we arrive at this night, that no longer matters. Whichever version of his coming to this moment you hold on to, by this moment, he knows where things are headed. Jesus knows he is on a collision course with the temple authorities and the Roman occupying forces. And he knows how that will turn out. And so knowing this, he has a choice to make. We should inhabit that moment with him, even for a short while this evening. He sat in a room with his closest followers and tried to tell them where this is all leading. They are, it would seem, quite unclear about the meaning of his strange words and stranger acts. 
If we think of a Middle Eastern city of that era and wearing sandals in that street filled with dirt, refuse, and dung, the act of foot washing was a profound humbling, a task usually given to the lowest servant of a household. Their teacher, their rabbi, insists on washing their feet. A final lesson in what his idea of leadership looks like. A final act of demonstrating where they needed to go and to be if they were to choose to follow him. They don't quite understand. It must have moved him to be misunderstood once again by the people he loved the most, the people with whom he was the closest. It also must have caused a pang in his heart. But he still chose to make himself this vulnerable. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He then goes off to pray and wrestle mightily with the hours that may lie just ahead. He takes his closest, Peter and the Boanerges, the sons of thunder, along with him. These oldest of his companions keep falling asleep while he struggles with his task and his duty. Take this cup, take this burden, and let it pass. And then he submits to what? Fate? The inevitable? The divine will? We'll never know his construct since he was completely alone, thoroughly alone. I've known quite a few people who were alone at the hour of their death. A heart attack took one while finishing a memo. COVID-19 prohibited their loved ones from surrounding the bedside of another. A cousin's suicide when the pain of this living became more than he could bear. In this moment, he knows that solitude, that loneliness, and his heart, I imagine, was broken by it. And the love of that sacred heart aches over the years and miles to the hearts of those we have loved and who died alone. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. James Russell Lowell was a Boston-born poet, Harvard professor, and American diplomat of the 19th century. He was opposed to the Mexican War and felt it betrayed democracy and the values of the Republic he so loved. He wrote a poem opposing that war and the reach for empire in 1845 about the choices he felt the nation faced. A decade later, parts of it were turned into a hymn which became a standard of the abolitionist movement of which he was an ardent member. Once to every soul and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. Some great cause, God's new Messiah, offering each the bloom or blight, and the choice goes by forever, twixt that darkness and that light. Then to side with truth is noble when we share her wretched crust, ere her cause bring fame and profit, and tis prosperous to be just. Then it is the brave soul chooses while the coward stands aside, till the multitude make virtue of the faith they had denied. By the light of burning martyrs, Christ, thy bleeding feet we track, toiling up new calvaries ever with the cross that turns not back. New occasions teach new duties. Time makes ancient good uncouth. They must upward still and onward, who would keep abreast of truth. Though the cause of evil prosper, yet tis truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold, and upon the throne be wrong. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, 
standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Jesus had a final choice, probably the most remarkable of this whole story, and one that we have to find between the lines. The temple police and the Roman forces are coming to arrest him. They would have left from the Temple Mount and had to pick their way down the stony slopes of the Kidron Valley, which separates the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane at its foot. Given his vantage point, he would have seen them with their torches a long way off. They were picking their way over ground, uncertain for many of them, and trying to do so in the dark. Imagine a hike you've been on in the mountains and miscalculated your time, walking over unfamiliar ground after the sun has set. And so he has time and a choice. It would take them an hour, perhaps more, to get to him. The Kidron Valley runs away from the city and into the wilderness, a wilderness he knew well, and a valley he could travel quickly. He could have been long gone before they arrived at the garden and he would have disappeared into the wilderness, the countryside, the villages. He would never have been found. A ghost in the wind, a whisper, a rumor, hidden among his followers in a terrain known to him and feared by the Romans. Occupying armies control the cities and the day. Insurgents always control the night and the countryside. We know from the story of the Good Samaritan that insurgents could attack a traveler in the light on a road to a fortified garrison town and leave him there with impunity, only to disappear into the wilderness again. Jesus could have escaped into that wilderness with no trouble at all and never been found. But that story would have a different ending, and we would not be likely ones to hear it. It would have been one of the memories of one occupied people, proper to their own history of conquest, oppression, and resistance, but it would have no more caught the world on fire than any of the hundreds of other valiant leaders of oppressed people over the sad history of this battered rock we farm. He chooses instead to stay, to face his captors, to show that power doesn't ultimately triumph, to show that death is not the final answer, to share the end we will all face, to embrace a breathtaking solidarity with suffering humanity that traverses time and space. He subverts oppression by refusing to meet it on its own terms, by insisting on his own. He makes his choice, a choice for solidarity with all humanity, a choice for resistance, a choice about the victory of the seemingly powerless over the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. A choice about speaking truth to power. A choice about ignoring immediate outcome. A choice that ignored the times and read the eternities. A choice that was in the here and now and transcended them. We are all also offered choices in these times. What world will we choose to build? What truths will we say are so important we will choose to insist on their being said? What things are so important to our identities as children of God that we will choose to love them to the end? Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. Amen. <laughs>